This is Coda Radio, episode 127, for November 10th, 2014. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, the great Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Me around the whole galaxy. <laughs> I like how uh, I feel like I, I amped up the, the drama for 127, like in that right. intro. I played it up a little bit, kind of gave you a grander entrance, and then you came in, you come in with Jar Jar. You know, I almost came in with Picard. That would have been good, man. I think I would have liked Picard. So, you know, so the problem is I have a habit of, when speaking as Captain Picard, like slamming my fist into things. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. like this no, far, no, can... no farther! No, no, no. This isn't what I wanted at all. That kind of thing. I got you. you Chris, you know yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. As Linux users, you've made too many compromises already. Oh my gosh, dude. I am having the worst week I've had in a long time. And too I don't I, I, I don't even want to say why because I get so much hate just talking about it. But, it's, but, but it's, now now okay, say why. Now I have to know. It's stupid. You would think that uh I I, I, I have taken some horrible political stance. You would think that I have come out for like some sort of egregious organization that violates human rights. Uh, the Free Software Foundation. Yeah. It's just simply that uh, I switched to Firefox for a week and it's been going very badly for me. Because Firefox is not working for you or because people yeah, I, hate you? I make a bet that this will be the first show in a week that I record where my browser does not crash on me during the show. And you're like, oh, that's man, that really sucks when your browser crashes. Well, guess what? When you're driving a show and the visuals are inside a web browser and it's part of production <laughs> and you're doing a live show, it does suck when your browser crashes. So it sucks a my, lot. My my inner Clippy would like to recommend Google Chrome. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I'm gonna go get. Uh, anyways, I'm gonna go get the developer edition of Firefox and I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I don't. I don't know I, 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 you know what the thing is? Is people get all upset. I think it's great that Firefox works. I mean, I think it's a really nice browser. I really like Mozilla. I wish it would work for me. Um, but you know, anyways, I digress. I don't want to turn the show into that. But I have been getting a lot of hostility about it. Like, I guess I'm just surprised that um, so much anger wait, comes out over something wait. like this. But I guess hostility I shouldn't be. Hostility and anger I on know. the internet I over be one so- tech product over another? You're- <laughs> That's I know, shocking right? to you? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. <clears throat> All right. Should we get into some emails? Of course. We do have some emails. Speaking of hostility. But we do have a hoopla coming up this week, too, don't we? We have uh, Mike's been in the trenches, and he's going to share a story with us. That is the worst URL I have ever seen. Where did you did like you, how I did that? Did where you did, like how I did that? Where did you get that URL from, dude? I may have misclicked something. That it. is a totes Google search result, right? Yeah. I don't know what that is, actually. I don't even know what I'm looking at. All right. Our first email comes in from Jason. He says, after listening to the program, I went online and I checked out the online version of Microsoft Word to work on a document just to see what you're talking about in response to the uh, uh, complaints, I guess you could say, of responsiveness of HTML5 apps. I could not see any slowness at all. The icons never took more than a second to appear, ever. 
I only have a 5 megabit connection, and I'm in Mexico. Also, browsers like Chrome and Firefox have technologies to cache things like icons locally. There's no reason they should take more than a few seconds to appear, or it should take a few seconds. I think it's most likely due to bad implementation. I think for video editing, an HTML5 app would be stupid. But in most cases, HTML5 is a good option. What really drives me nuts about HTML5 apps is having to run them in my browser. I use Chrome's Create an Application shortcut a lot, but I still want my application to look like an individual application. I don't want them inside my browser. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> we got a lot of responses in regards to some of our comments about uh, HTML5 performance. And it all kind of was like, yeah, it seemed to be pretty like, uh, yeah, I see it, it bothers me, or it's not really a big deal. And uh, I don't know, Mike. I mean, did you take away anything from our – we have one more from PT Day. Maybe I should read that first. Let me read this, and then let's sure. talk about it at whole, so that way we get all these out. Uh, so he says, uh, this is PT Dave, friend of the show, right? And he says, I feel the pain on HTML5 and cloud IDs, which you brought up. With HTML5, technology is just too spread out. You have languages such as Dart, JavaScript, and iterations on top of those. However, we keep pulling from dependencies and, the, and add time and memory usage to all of these things. Now, honestly, I feel the answer to this is just to use JavaScript and no third-party dependencies, regardless of how little or how light they are. The flip side is that JavaScript sucks. The solution to all of this, I feel, is just hasn't been invented yet. And it won't be a standard until that's truly reached. I hate rendering individual pages and prefer doing a single entry page that renders uh, and loaded once. Also, PHP is a terrible language. This should, should be treated as a zombie. <clears throat> wow. He says, now for cloud IDEs. I have been looking for a good one for a while. I would love to have a DigitalOcean droplet with the sole purpose that has me develop my applications on a web interface. Cloud9 thus far has been the best I have seen. My ultimate goal would be able to buy a cheap laptop with great battery life and then just develop on that. Then have the beast of a machine for my gaming. I don't want to mix gaming and dev anymore. PT Dave. Uh, so let's talk about the HTML5 app thing real quick. I don't want to spend a ton the whole show yeah. on it, but... Uh, so it, it seems like people were pretty divided. Some people seem to think that they have been under-delivering. I thought about it more after our show, and I thought, you know, I think some of the complaints that I had were definitely today problems. That listening to that episode in 2016, hopefully those things won't really be an issue. But fundamentally, how do you get away from – there's a couple of things about web apps that I think at the end of the day bother me about them. Uh, one of them uh, our, our, our reader – or a writer mentioned – being stuck in the browser, right? Even when you remove some of the Chrome of the browser, it's still in the browser. That's like a huge runtime dependency. It was kind of weird. It's just this weird, like, half-app thing. And number two is, I'm going to get a little hippie on you, but all of these things are connected to back-end closed-off infrastructures that I have no oversight, I have no control, I have no implementation, of, I have no details on the implementation, I have no idea what type of password security they're using, what type of storage mechanism they're using, and it's totally dependent upon their services. And these companies, all of them that are the forerunners in this market right now, uh, of and what I mean by that is by commonly used web-based applications, you know, the real big deployments like the Google Docs and the online office and all of the really big stuff, a lot of them are tied to companies that adjust their web strategy depending on the marketing opportunity and so their entire product line can take a massive evolution and direction change when they feel like it's time to pivot or whatever their reason is. And that is unsettling to me. Whereas I feel like a, a, a standalone compiled binary that runs on my desktop 
it's offline. I have a clear indication yeah. of what the backend storage is because it's my file system. I know what the security implementations are because I've done it. And if they decide the next version to go pursue a new direction and I don't like it, I can continue to run the old binary. Whereas with the online apps, I cannot. Well, no. So, right, you can't. Um, well, tell that to all those XP users. Right. I mean, an operating system and an app are a little different, though, right? So let's think of it a simple app like, oh, I don't know. Well, they're, you know, the Facebook app, right? If you have the native Facebook app on your phone and if don't update it for two years, the Facebook right. API may change, right? right. Like back- yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Mo- most, even most native apps are going to be tied to those backend infrastructures that, that you have. I'm like. almost more okay with the sort of more casual, more ephemeral type apps. It's the stuff that I use to run my business where I kind of feel like, and, and when I say look at those XP users, what are most of those XP users doing? They're running XP because they're running some super old application that requires it, right? Or some super old application that would run just the same on the next version of Windows, so there's zero incentive to upgrade. Uh, that's really what they're using these systems for, and it, they're taking advantage of it today. It, it sucks for Microsoft, but it's great for the end user. I feel the same way about uh, Final Cut. It's a critical application for us here at Jupiter Broadcasting, and they, a couple of years ago, man, they made a crazy-ass change. They threw out all the code, rewrote the sucker based on iMovie, and people right. lost it, right? And you know what I did? I held on to the Final Cut 7 binary for a year, and I ran it when I needed it. And that's how I made the transition happen. If that was Google Docs, and I can specifically say this because I use Google Docs for the production of our shows, they one day I log in, and they've completely re-implemented the way the display page is, uh, shows all my docs, or the way tabs tabbing is handled in the document. It, it, it affects the workflow. I wouldn't have upgraded to those features if I had the option. So you're saying because it's possible for a native app to give the user the ability not to upgrade and keep certain like UI elements, things that don't affect the running of the application. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with more. I mean, it really comes down to having the like as a developer and someone who you know either sells software or software services or whatever you want to say that I do. I hate the idea that users can opt not to update. Right, right? I know. I, I but, totally do understand that from like an but IT. To me, the, the biggest advantage that HTML5 developers have over, well, me, is that they control end-to-end the experience, right? If, if an HTML5 developer decides that he doesn't like, you know, the teal that he has on his web app, right? Right, he just pushes out an update and everybody pushes gets it. an update and they get it as soon as their DNS or whatever, right? Like yep, as soon yep. as... Really, literally, almost instantly. Yeah, I think that is the sweet thing, but it, you see, I feel like it gets abused. Well, you might say it gets abused because, what, people are a little more fast and loose with QA? Yeah. That kind of, yeah. yeah, I think so. Maybe so. Well, uh, remember and, when QA used to be like a whole career track for developers? Remember how stuff used to sit in QA for years and years? Right. Yeah. Like, remember when companies, like every decent software company had a director of QA? Remember how the, re- would, the reputation of a company was based on how good their QA was? Well, no, but like, like the director of QA was like a legit director. Right. Like he was a straight up exec, just like right next because to the director they, of finance. Because to them, it was yeah. an important role. Yeah, and, and now, so there is that. There is definitely that. But, you know, I, I, I just want to go back to the Final Cut thing. Like there is a certain point, too, where it's too much change, where the developer's interest no longer align with the established user base interest. That's where I primarily see the conflict. And it's not so much with, like, the HTML5 app that, you know, Mike gets hired to write for a company 
and then you know their hundred users or ten users or or whatever use it internally for five years. That's one thing. It's another thing when it's like these these staples in our consumer meal of computing that have always been part of the industry are now sure. moving to this model where they're going to be doing this to us. And I think when I when I add it all up, so like last week I focused a lot on the performance. It you know, to be honest. It's generally acceptable, and I gotta admit, it's gotten so much better than it used to be. I think the performance gap will be closed over time, but the issues I raised today are not as easy to fix from a technological standpoint. You no, know, it's funny though because we we finished um, a couple projects actually last week, and I was doing the deployments for the customers because these were actually app store projects, and you know some are iOS, some are Android, right? After doing like two Android deployments, having to go into iTunes Connect was a horrifying experience. And we had recently, de- we actually, we deployed a new website for the company and we deployed some customer websites too. The whole web deployment model, like, I definitely as a dev see the advantage. Oh, for I mean, sure. Like, particularly against like the Apple iTunes Connect, oh, your, your P list doesn't match. Oh, so sorry. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of. I think native apps are always going to have a place, but I I think it's going to be very, it's going to be very tough to be a native developer when you have to wait two, three weeks to do an update. And, and, and what do you do in a world where, in a world where no platform reigns dominant? Well, like we had a customer who that's cross platform, right? So he's Android and iOS. And we were done with the project. So we had to come to him and say, listen, we're good to deploy. He looked at it, loved it, happy, happy, happy. Um, even wrote us a very sweet testimonial, actually. And then we had to tell him, all right, when can I be on the App Store? Well, you could be on the Google Play Store, like, tomorrow. Right. Uh, the right. iOS Store, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. That is... That's such an awkward conversation. Like, do you launch an Android first, or do you just kind of sit around and twiddle your thumbs? Well, but, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that element like, but I'm just bringing it back to HTML. I was kind of thinking, you know, you could deploy were, immediately. You can deploy immediately. Right. And yeah. Yeah, th- th- this this project would not be appropriate as a web app, right? Like this is a definitely need. It makes sense as a mobile app, but like if it were something that would be appropriate as a web app, having to just be able to you know hit the command and do it is great. I I see. I think I think what what's happening is developers are incentivized by all of the. Uh, pros, but users are going to sit back and start to think about the cons, about how the interface and the and the fe- features will change on them, and you know, <clears throat> thing that I think people there is a new form of lock-in, and it's so much better than the old lock-in. Man, it's so much. The old lock-in looks quaint. Oh, you have your files in a dot doc dot xls. <laughs> That's quaint, right? The new lock in is you have hundreds of dollars invested in this ecosystem. You have right. all of your data invested. You have your entire social graph applied to this. Like I'm thinking in this case, Google Docs, like, where oh, okay. yeah. right, like I, like the entire it pulls in my entire Google social graph where I can share documents with anybody that's I've got in my inbox or is circled. Right? It's 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 it, it integrates in with Hangouts. It's this amazing unbelievable finally it is 2014 style lock-in and it is here it is gorgeous and i think end users will start to push against it a little bit so can, can i can i can i say something without starting a row and chat or no uh probably not but go for it we're we're moving off of google docs 
we had a major Google Apps outage for yeah. about a day. Yeah. And we literally lost the sale because of it. Oh, man, that would burn me so bad. So what are you going to so use instead? Not, not, a, not a big sale, but I was still pretty butthurt. Yeah, of course. And, and your, your old friends at GoDads are having a great sale on Office 365. Oh, yeah, they do, yeah. And it's actually cheaper than Google Docs, plus we don't have to pay for office licenses for our salespeople. That's very true. That's very true. And zombies so, don't run Linux. So, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm pretty sure it's IIS in this case. Oh. But, you know, it happened when I had to call Google for support. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? me over the edge. Yeah, yeah. And it, so I waited on hold for like an hour, first off. Like that, 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 that's their opening move. <laughs> then I get transferred like three times because like, oh, you called the wrong Google Apps line. This is Google Apps, not Google Enterprise. Oh, we're Google Workdown. What the hell's the difference? Apparently they rebranded like a month ago and I was unaware of it. So I called asking for Google Enterprise. And it's now called Google Work. Ooh, Google Work. They should have done Works, because then it'd be a play on words. Google Works. Yeah, not so much. Uh, so supposedly, like, our domain renewed and something happened. Hmm. And first they said it was our fault. I'm like, well, I've had the domain for five years. How the hell is it my fault? <laughs> like, I haven't touched it in five years. <laughs> what, 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 Trust me, I haven't that? been messing with the settings. <laughs> yeah. Like, believe me, that's what I pay you for. Like, I don't, I don't do IT admin. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, okay. Well, don't worry, sir. We'll do it for you. Here we go. It'll be up uh, tomorrow morning. All right. I'm pissed, but whatever. Tomorrow morning comes. Now, this, this, this whole fiasco starts, I think, like Wednesday night. Tomorrow morning is Thursday. I call him on Thursday. Hey, Google, WTF, you know, still down. Hang on, sir. Let me check really? your MX. Let me check your MX records. You're like, no, we've been down this route already. I'm like, you know what? Okay, go ahead, right? Because anything's <laughs> possible. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. You're like, you MX, know what? Fine, follow your script. Yeah, your MX records are correct. Thank you. So what now? Uh, I don't know. I said I was told there was no outage, and this was my fault. I said it's okay if it's my fault, but if it's my fault, I should be able to fix it. Yeah, and can you tell me if it's my fault? You need to be able to tell me where it's at because it's obviously not right. in my DNS record. So where uh, is it? Well, there's nothing you can do other than change your MX records. We control the whole thing. We have the whole... Uh, they were nice about it, but then I had to get transferred again. So... Gosh, dude. What they ended up doing was having to reset the whole thing and, like, set me up as a new customer. Like, I had to go in and put a text file on my website for, like, five minutes, sit on the phone with them. Like, something weird happened with the account. So they reset you up. So they had the, that text file is like they verify you and stuff like that. Right. Like something happened where the verification, I don't know, didn't work. So, and, I, and to my knowledge, they don't re-verify you. So none of this makes a lot of sense to me. Because why would they ever verify you more than once? Is that, you know what I mean? Like why Unless it's just like to? part of the initialization process they have to go through. Well, the only thing I could think was like that. Like the host, you know, we have like a five-year thing with our domain. Like every it just renews. Yeah. Maybe when they renew the domain, they did something for like a minute, and then because when I got in, the MX records were right, so I didn't know what to tell them. I said, "I said, dude, I'm, I'm looking at it. You know, this is our domain registrar. I sent them a screenshot. Like, I'm not on drugs. I thought my first thought was maybe they updated their MX records and I didn't read the email, right?" And maybe I didn't update it. Because like, I'm thinking it's got to be my fault. How, how could Google screw this up? So we never found out what the problem was. Mm. They just kind of reset me. And then once they did that, it kind of fixed it. 
Well, once, but it took, we didn't come back up till Friday. So how many because days? Because then, then the MX records had to repropagate, Is right? That, so you were out a day or more? We are out roughly two and a half days. And in that time, we had a guy who, who were going to close on a sale. Got upset, was like, I can't believe one of your salespeople is using AOL now because he used his personal account. And that <laughs> was the end of that. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? This is cool. Well, of course, in this, you know, two and a half days doesn't sound like a lot unless you can't get email, right? Oh, it, it, a two and a half hours is a lot if you can't get email. Yeah, I was on the phone and Godaddy's like, well, 45% off, uh, you know, just, just throwing it out there. Wow, I did nice. So, yeah, yeah, I would be moving off too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, office is no better, right? Like, it's just one thing I've always liked about Godaddy, and this is not a commercial for them because I don't think they sponsor us, <laughs> is um, when I call, someone answers the phone. Mm hmm. And it's someone who, like, I can understand, and they they at least act like they feel your pain a little bit, like they're usually pretty good. Receptive. Yeah, and they're like, especially if you're a business customer and you're pissed off, they're usually like, or, or at least they toss you like a $100 credit. Yeah. Right. That, that at least or, helps with the sting a little bit. Google, Google started from the position of, you must have fucked it up. Like, it's got to be your fault. Even if it is my fault. Right, it. Yeah. Like it's fifteen dollars a month per user. It's not like free but software. You spent a lot of time in that in that in that zone right. though, so that kind of cost you. Some and we've time. had other like we've had other issues where a lot of customers are requesting to use Skype and and just hate Google Hangout. So like there's there's other incentives to move off of it. Um, but this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> I could imagine. Wow. All right, we've got a couple more emails to get to, and the next one's kind of an interesting question uh, that uh, I think. Some people have probably wondered, and I think have perhaps come to the wrong conclusion. But first, I want to thank Linux Academy. Head over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and save on your subscription. And why would you want to subscribe to Linux Academy? Because they're always adding new content. Content that you can learn and increase your skill set whenever you have the time. They have step-by-step -step video courses, downloadable, comprehensive study guides. And each course, as you go through it, if you get to a spot where this is something you have to do on the command line, you have to spin up a server for this. Well, they automatically do that. They have this awesome technology they just recently expanded upon. This is one of the things I love about Linux Academy, just a total aside. You know, there's a, there are other online training platforms out there. And they, they, just, they, they are too widespread. They're, they just do a, a shotgun approach to training. That's not Linux Academy. Linux Academy is backed by Linux and open source enthusiasts, designers, and educators that came together. They've created courseware that focuses on Linux and AWS, OpenStack, DevOps, which I know that now fits for a lot of you. Even getting if everything from just getting started with some of these technologies all the way to fully implementing them using one of the cool backend technologies that they built, this lab system where they automatically queue up and spin up multiple servers for you if you need it, with public IP addresses and an SSH login, and you can assign roles to these servers. And if you're doing an AWS courseware, they'll automatically spin up the AWS instant for you, and you don't have to worry about the charging or any of that because Linux Academy takes care of it. You can take their comprehensive guides, listen to them on the go, or if you're like Vegas Writer on Twitter, in the shower, why not, right? That's where he listens. You could. And the other cool thing is they're rolling out new features all the time. And I'm really excited about their learning plans that allow you to select how much time you have available. Say, hey, I got 20 minutes a night. 
I got 10 minutes. I have an hour on Saturday. You tell Linux Academy Systems that their sweet dashboard automatically generates the courseware for you, gives you time estimations, gives you progress reports, recaps, reminds you of quizzes that are coming up. It is really cool. And then when time's available, as you have like maybe a little extra time here and there, you can participate in some of the live streams with the educators and things like that. There's so many great options over at Linux Academy, and they're constantly adding new courseware. That's where that subscription becomes more and more valuable because you're always going to see something new you want to experience. I've used it just to keep myself sharp. I've been lending out uh, the login to we have what's called a group system where we can have several people in the Jupyter Broadcasting Network that can log in under a group ID. It's great for group training. It's neat. A lot of systems, a lot of great technology all coming together, hyper-focusing on topics that our audience cares about and delivering the best educational experience with some of the coolest technology backing it. You gotta go check it out. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a huge thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Thank you to all of our viewers and listeners out there who visit that as well to just let them know that you appreciate them supporting the show. Okay, Mike. Next email comes in from Sunder, I believe is how you say his name, and he has a question about the role that following other developers on social networks and news aggregation sites play in your life. As an indie developer, do you really learn anything out of the social echo chamber, as he calls it? And what part of your develop, how much of your development time should be spent on such endeavors? What are your thoughts, Mike? And yeah, because I read this email too a little earlier. Um, I didn't understand what he meant by social echo chamber. Does he mean like Google Plus and Twitter? I'm sure you know where it's sort of like a self-selecting audience where people. I actually learn a lot on Twitter um, because I use Twitter and Pocket in conjunction to save things. One of the big things and one of the big mistakes I initially made was you want to follow people on Twitter you don't necessarily agree with. That's an interesting Like if you, if you, like I hate PHP with passion. I and I hate Node. Huh. Oh, really? But I, I follow Node and PHP people on Twitter. Because, you know, I don't, up until recently I didn't do a whole lot of .NET, right? But I've been following .NET people for years now. Yeah. Uh, I so, actually take the same tact with podcasts. I don't, yeah. not religiously, not very frequently, but about once or twice a month, I tune into the Windows Weekly podcast just to hear what the hell's going on over in Redmond because I really am not very good at updating myself in those areas because, like you just said, I don't care a lot about it. So having a good source that is in a, a consumable format makes me still current, helps me stay current on those topics. And the same thing like with Twitter, right? You select who you follow, and you can use it almost right. as a news feed. I'm not suggesting you torture yourself, right? Like, you don't, you know, you don't follow, like, if you're a .NET developer, don't follow the most crazy Microsoft is evil, everybody who does C Sharp is evil. Yeah, kind of. right. And, yeah. and those don't really exist anymore, or at least they're not popular. Yeah, but, like, yeah, like, you know, I, like, like, you know, there's definitely a line I draw. Like, I don't, you know, people that there's just some people I don't follow on Twitter, even though it, it, it's for that exact reason. In fact, I've actually, I think one of the more important things to take away from Twitter is be more selective of who you follow. You know, right? I mean, I, you know, Chris, I don't know if you've noticed, I have a personality flaw where I'm kind of a troll. <laughs> oh, huh? But I, I've actually like actively tried to stop following prominent devs who are jerks. <clears throat> yeah. Just because it, <laughs> which is interesting because I don't follow myself. Uh, hey oh. No, but like, 
I don't like the let's tear apart some open source project and make make the person who worked on it cry approach. He's a jackass. Yeah, that's yeah, a jackass thing to do. Like that's just destructive and and not really nice. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't really missed much. Yeah, what are you? Yeah, I mean, what are you getting out of that? Nothing other than drama and stress. Which which is fun, right? Like to follow the angry blog posts is, is kind of fun. But you don't really learn anything from that. You just learn that you. And sometimes you reinforce prejudices, right? Like, oh, Ruby people are bitchy. Well, if you're following people who are actively mean to, you know, who go on GitHub and like some nasty comments to. Oh, oh, a little uh, instead of four. Little uh, subspace interference there. You know, I agree with you, Mr. Dominic, and here's my kind of general curation approach. Uh, I'm I'm pretty quick with the unfollow if I don't really know who the person is, but if I, I kind of like if I've noticed a few times when I'm going through my feed that they don't really have anything relevant to my interests, I'm quick to unfollow because I believe that if they're worth following, they'll probably show up again some at some point and maybe I'll reconsider it because I'm also quick to refollow. Uh, and yeah. then the other thing I do is the people that I have found to actually produce good and relevant uh, content, I, I definitely try to pay attention to who they're retweeting and who they're at replying and try to get a sense of who they're engaging with and then sometimes check those folks out. And uh, it is kind of sweet because you can then plug your Twitter feed into it. And there's a few different apps out there. I guess Pocket's one of them, right, where you can yeah. plug your Twitter feed in and then it'll kind of go out and uh, Sherlock Holmes some of the best stories from your feed for you automatically uh, and then present them? No. I oh, okay. It, I mean, is there a way to do it automatically that I'm unaware of? Oh, I don't know I about Pocket. Of, like, Flipboard does that. Yeah, I tried Flipboard. Flipboard was super crashy for me. I just wasn't down with that. Yeah. It's gotten better, I think, but I don't use it a lot. It's been a while, so maybe it was like, yeah. But it's kind of neat because it's like, it is relevant stuff. Like, if you actively curate that Twitter feed, it can be just as useful as a good RSS feed. It doesn't have to be a social network. It doesn't have to be where you talk about sandwiches. It can just be a useful tool where you contact people, you make connections, you get answers, and you read feeds, and you can plug those feeds into some apps, like like Flipboard and stuff. Give it a shot, Thunder, and let us know. Right? Why yeah, not? I mean, I, Google, Google Plus, I think, is pretty good, too. But the problem is Google Plus tends to skew very strongly in a few directions. Um, and also got super spammy now that people post memes on there all day long. Yeah, there's that, too. There is that. Uh, well, Mr. Dominic.CoderRadio.com or CoderRadio.Reddit.com? Uh, there you go. There you go. CoderRadio.Reddit.com. All right. Uh, next email is in response to your pretty hand, handsome plug for the Surface 3. Uh, he says, listening to Michael's recommendation of the Surface 3, and by the way, this is uh, Steve, uh, it's as the best laptop on the market today, I couldn't help but raise my hand. I recently was tasked with setting up one for an executive. The following are the problems that I faced. Number one, until applying Windows updates, random shutdowns due to overheating, six or seven on the first day. This is the Core i7 model, which is quite common. Number two, out of the box. The Surface Pro 3 keyboard wasn't recognized by any driver. To fix this, I had to download a 200 megabyte <clears throat> zip of the firmware drivers from Microsoft.com. I manually installed five of them in Device Manager, then deleted five devices from Device Manager, rebooted several times. Number three, it wouldn't power up on day two. To fix this, I had to hold down the power plus volume up button for 15 seconds, then release both, hold power for 10 seconds, oh. release, then press power. If it was my money... I would have returned it the same day and took home three or four new iPad Airs for less money. Big fan of the show. And he says, hoping I have some listeners in Kazash. What's Kazash? Kizash? Kizash? It's good, though. I'm sure he does. So what do you think? Have you uh, had any? How, so do you have yeah. a Surface 3? Is that right? 
Oh, you just think yeah, it's a good yeah. one? Yeah, oh. yeah. No, I have a Surface 3 at work. Um, uh, project manager is using it. No problems. I have heard of people having problems. Now, I'm thinking the Surface 3 we have is an i5. And I'm wondering if it's not the difference. Maybe there's something wrong with the driver. It might run cooler. Yeah. Because we've had no trouble at all. Like, it worked out of the box. Hmm. Yeah. hmm. One might even say that it just worked. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to think differently about that. All right. Matthew <laughs> writes in with one of our uh, last emails, uh, just on the lines of laptop recommendations. Uh, this is a topic that keeps coming up on the Quota Radio program. Uh, Matthew says, I spent last month looking for a good laptop. I wanted a large 1080p screen for gaming. Then why aren't you out of luck? Or for gaming-grade hardware. However, I didn't want a big gaming laptop, which looks like a transformer. I ended up with an Acer V17 Nitro Black Edition. I was hesitant to go with Acer. However, I'm incredibly happy with my choice. Not only does it have lots of horsepower, but it's very elegant looking. It has a nice backlit keyboard, 240 gigabyte SSD, and a terabyte spinning disk, a 1080p IPS display, top-end i7 processor, and an NVIDIA GTX 860M. I can get all my work done on it, and then I can switch over and play games if I have time. It came with the typical OEM bloatware, but it was easy to easily solved by wiping it out and putting vanilla 8.1 Windows on there and Ubuntu 14.04. The specific SKU I got, SKU, was $1,300 on Newegg. I spent a lot of time looking at it, and it's easily the best laptop in this price range. I'd highly recommend giving the Acer V Nitro series a look. I think they have a winner on their hands. Kind regards from the main. Wow, yeah, I never would have considered Acer. Yeah, you know, and I wonder yeah. if that's maybe an old prejudice, because I think I was there too, but then when I actually think about some of their laptops that I've seen at conferences and stuff, they've been pretty nice. Yeah, I, I, I remember them as like the crap, like, this is the Walmart brand. Yeah, but, but I'm, looking th- at, I'm looking at it, it looks this is a good machine. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm waiting for uh, the page to load over here, but I think, uh, uh, you know, because they, they found themselves in the OEM position for so long, they got good at building hardware. It is a good-looking laptop, isn't it? And, it? and it's Skype certified. Oh, well, there you go, Mike. Job done. This is a biggin', though. This one's got the 17-inch screen. Hooey, that's biggin'. This is a beast. And it, it, perfect to run BSD on. <laughs> PC BSD at that. <clears throat> I'm still, I in the back of my mind, as the end of the year approaches, I start thinking about taxes and last chance to have a write-off, and I start thinking about computer hardware, and sometimes it's just, sometimes I just start to get that itch, and I, I'm feeling it right now a little bit. You know, we've been talking about hardware, I think it's giving me the, right. the new rig itch a little bit. Now are you looking for, you should just get a, you should just get a Retina iMac. Oh, your face, your face, dude. Your face. All right, uh, so we have some hoopla that I have been waiting to hear all day. But before we get to that, I want to thank DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com. DigitalOcean.com is actually brought, recommended to me originally by Mike, but it is really something you've got to check out. I, I was sort of like, oh, Mike, DigitalOcean, this is interesting. And Mike's like, yeah, check it out. No, really, you should check it out. I'm like, oh, okay, I yeah, don't really, you should go check it out. It's kind of cool. So I did. Now, this is uh, a little bit before they became a sponsor. So even before they became a sponsor, I'd spun up my first droplet. And I was blown away. And it's only gotten better. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And it's, it's nuts. It's game-changing. It's like nobody else has ever done it before. Really, ever. And users can usually get started in about less than 55 seconds. Their pricing plans start 
at only $5 per month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer, connected to some of the best data centers in the world. DigitalOcean has locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. But it's that interface. It's always going to be the go-to thing because there's no barrier to entry here. You're going to be able to take advantage of a worldwide distributed data center with private networkings, backups, DNS management, HTML5 consoles, KVM virtual machine creation, and you don't have to know what any of that means because it's just click, click, click. And if you do know what that means, you are so damn impressed at how easy it is to get going and how fast. 55 seconds is kind of like their safety number, but I've heard even people get up going even faster than that. And you can really take it up to the next level with their straightforward API. Developers are creating applications today that use the API that allow you to take the power of DigitalOcean's da- dashboard and take it even further, integrate it in with your system, script it, automate it, tied into applications. It's so cool. And, you know, when you have a great API, people actually use it, especially for a popular service like DigitalOcean. Now, we've been talking about how DigitalOcean is seeking tutorials for their community, and now they're willing to pay up to $200 if you write one of these tutorials because they want to have the best, and they're willing to pay to have the best. And they've had a bit of a problem. It's a good problem, but they have a bit of a problem. A lot of you have tried it out, and a lot of you are writing some really great tutorials. In fact, so many that DigitalOcean <laughs> is actually opening another position to keep up with demand. So they have a job opening right now for a content editor position. So if you're fluent in some of this stuff or you've written some tutorials before, you might want to check it out. we got a link on our show notes. You might be able to get a gig out of it. How cool is that? It's like this: you guys go, you, know, you support our sponsors, you support the show. They grow now. Maybe they'll even hire one of you. It'd be kind of amazing. If you get the gig, you got to let us know if you get the gig. So go over to DigitalOcean right now. Check them out. Use our promo code, CODERNOVEMBER. That's going to get you a $10 credit. You apply that to your account. That's one of the things I love about DigitalOcean is you can have a pre-applied balance, which for me is awesome because I go in there, I put that promo code in there, I got the $10 credit, and I just ran it. I didn't have to put my credit card in there. And you can do the same thing. CODERNOVEMBER. Get that $10 credit. Try out the $5 droplet for free for two months. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Mr. Dominic, a little birdie told me that you have been in a state of full-stack hoopla. What is going on? Yes, yeah, so this article came out from TechCrunch, the death of the full-stack developer. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Dead. He's never crap, out. crap. I, I, I consider myself a full-stack kind of guy. Uh, full stack oh, pancakes, though. I'm a half stack kind of guy, but yeah, that's because I've been putting on some weight recently. That's you know probably it good. It's probably good. Yeah, so uh, they're all dead now. <laughs> all this full stack developers, just like that. Uh, yeah, the meteor came. Yeah, it it, uh, it happened on uh, November seventh, two thousand and fourteen, and TechCrunch wrote about it on November eighth, two thousand and fourteen. Yep, that was it. They're it dead. seems as though everyone in the tech today is infatuated with the full stack developer. Full stack may have been possible in the Web two era, but the new generation of startups is emerging, pushing the limits of virtually all areas of software, from machine intelligence to predictive push or predict to predictive push computing. Oh, predictive push computing is that like Google now? I guess, predictive push computing, Uh, to data analytics, mobile, wearable, and more. It's becoming virtually impossible for a single developer to program across the full modern stack. 
You so, agree with this, Mike? The, now, they're saying the full stack is everything from predictive push computing to wearables. Right. So, so okay. So, yeah, if you're saying full stack means, like, every theoretical device you could ever use, and okay, but, I mean, come on, right? Don't That's not how software is developed in the real world. Software is developed for a use case. Somebody comes to you and says, we have this thing we need to do, and we need it to work on these things. They don't right. come to you and say... Make this imaginary application and make it work on all of the imaginary things. That's just not how development works. It's, it's way like more pragmatic. It's not pie in the sky like that. Right. We would like to see this one on all theoretical devices ever. Well, Said no sure. one ever. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's like, okay, sure. No one person can do that. You got it, Chief. Like, Okay. You know, didn't didn't full stack used to mean I could do the front end and the back end? Yeah, like, that's, isn't that... that's what I thought full stack meant. Yeah, but now usually that meant like you could do a front end and a back end. Yeah, right? like you could yeah. do a yeah. iOS app right. through Ruby on Rails back end. Right, was a very common combination. Or or you know, for a while it was I'll write something on the front end and it'll talk to our back end Java server. Right. They say by the late two thousands it became impossible for programmers. Oh, it became possible for many programmers to deliver a complete consumer software-as-a-service suite, including a dynamic web client, server-side business logic, and a scalable database deployment and operational support. This new breed of full-stack developer could run circles around teams of programmers attempting the same task. When projects scaled up, adding more full-stack programmers allowed a single person to add a single feature across all the tiers of an application, which accelerated feature delivery over the communication overhead of having different people own the feature in each tier. Holy shit, that is thick. That has got to be one of the thickest paragraphs I've read on this show. Oh, it, it's crazy. It's like, let it, let's let add as much as we can to this list, and of course it's going to be impossible, so right? He, like, here's what really kind of... I mean, I, I hate to take to this... I, always, I hate to go to the thing that always bothers me, but this is what bothers me about this. Uh, people who don't know shit about development, have probably never written a line of code, don't have any idea about the concepts, then go and get paid to write articles about them that need to get clicks, that need to have artwork, that have to be published up on sites that need to sound fancy. And there is an entire industry of these people. And to me, they look like leeches that suck off the back of actual workers. Right. Like, you see this in the open source community, too. A lot of community managers, a lot of people who are hands-on with community and all that. Whoa, a lot of, it's easy on the community manager. I'm just saying, a lot of times, <laughs> it's, open you box. get people that want to get involved in open source, but they don't know how to write a single line of code, but they still got to be involved in open source, so they insert themselves somewhere. Sometimes it's good. Full stop. Sometimes it's not. I feel like it's the same thing with this type of journalism. Sometimes you can have somebody who can sit back and analyze the business logic and have a valid point and write up a great piece, even though they've never written any code. And then other times, you get people like this author that write this stuff. That doesn't contribute anything to the discussion. It muddies it up. It, it sort of adds to this mythology around development that, that, that this, sort of, this sort of obfuscation of what the real work actually is. I think it's a disservice. I think it's it's you know it's a great headline, right? The death. Like when you when you can start a headline with anything that starts with the death of insert noun here, right? Well, and I think you're, 
I think I fundamentally yes, I understand. I but see, the, I don't think it's just about getting the headlines. I think they actually are buying this. I think they've sold this line well, of crap well, I, themselves. So I read the article, and I'm like, well, that's great on the high end, but you know what's really hurting full stack developers on the low end? Parse. Because there's no need on the low end for that kind of thing anymore. Hmm. You know, Windows services, or I'm sorry, Windows Azure mobile services, whatever they call it. Um, Heroku has a thing now for it. Like, everybody has this back end in a box that's making it less, you know, on the, on the lower side of life, less advantageous to be full stack. Right, because you're really being judged on front end, and it's all about front end. Here's where I think this piece falls apart in two bits. Number one, I think the premise is wrong, and here's the premise. We are in the midst of a rapid shift to a more complicated technologies that, as in days gone by, require experts at each tier. So I would say in some regards, development is so much easier than it used to be. Like, when you write for mobile, what do you just get? When you get mobile, you automatically get an update channel. You get a back-end push integration system. You get GPS that's already been written for you. You get It is so much easier to integrate in with services like OneDrive and Google Compute and, and iCloud. There is so much more resources. So little re- infrastructure is actually... Back in the day, if you wanted to have a push notification service, you better deploy a server that can manage all of those users. And when you get more users, you have to deploy more servers. That's not a problem that developers have to worry about anymore if they choose not to. It is actually, in some regards, so much easier to develop software than it was 10 years ago. So full stop right there. I disagree with the premise. But then, then in, sort of a, in sort of a point that torpedoes the entire article, the author then says, in a brave new world, it is critical to have at least one person with a functional understanding each of the comprising parts of who is capable of connecting various tiers and working with experts so that each feature can be actually delivered. In a way, these tier-connecting bridge-building software architects, who will likely be experts in only one or a few of the couple tiers, won't be full-stack developers. They're full-stack integrators. Which is a mean... Right, right. So, so it's, it's funny, right? Okay. How do you define full-stack developer? Is it someone who every day writes you know, an equal amount of one platform or the other? Or is it someone who... Because by that definition, no one is a full-stack developer. Right, and and, and at the same time, they're saying nobody – they say the full-stack developer is dead. Nobody can be a full-stack developer, but what you need to pull it off is somebody who knows a lot of the important tiers, who knows how to make it all work together, and can build the bridges. Wouldn't that be somebody that knows the full-stack then? Aren't you – isn't the very premise – Yeah. Like like you're giving it up right there, right? Because most current, in quotes, full-stack developers have a primary thing that they usually work on, but they may also know something else as a secondary skill, right? And they're not going to be as good as, like, the, for instance, like, I, I can kind of do Rails. I haven't done it in a long time. Um, in fact, I, I can make a Rails API run, but we have a Rails guy at FTT that's far better than me because his primary is Ruby on Rails, right? He's more up-to-date than sure. I am. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And my primary is generally Coco. So it, it, it's a little. I, 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 I think it's a little dangerous what, what TechCrunch is saying because first of all, small companies are not going to be able to have a MongoDB guy, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. Right. You might have a you might have quote front end guys and back end guys. But your armchair CTOs they read this stuff. This this builds the expectation. 
That's what. That's why I don't like it. That's where my frustration comes from. Is where I say it's a little irresponsible. Is uh, I, I see the same thing happen in the Linux community. There's people who are not really following Linux that closely, but still choose to write about it because it makes them money. And uh, so their their armchair commentary. Well, and the other thing, like Dev, is such a weird business to be. in. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. It's such a weird business to be in to say that. Oh well, this didn't work for you know my friend's company, so it's not going to work for you. Right, because it's always we, so individually dependent. It's right. It's the personalities come into play. The goal of the project, what you're actually building, the scope of work are different for the every tools project. You're using yeah. like is the company using a good bug tracking solution like GitHub or GitLab, or are they using Post-it notes <laughs> and email? <laughs> That's the other common one, right? Email. Are, are you using source control, or are you sending zip freaking bundles around? <laughs> like, there's so many other factors other than oh, well, you know, we only hire specialists here because what what happens if you're a super specialist and the hot thing you're working on is no longer hot? Then you're like Taylor Swift and you pull out of Spotify. Dude, I'm so upset. (laughs) I feel like I just might shake, shake, shake. Oh, gosh. I think that might be one of her songs, but I don't actually know. If anybody is wondering what the reasons for the teardrops on my guitar are, it's Taylor Swift. Wow. Uh, So I guess we've made our point on this. You know, I look back at this and I think – I'll just finish my thought is I see that the Linux community, this happens too as well, and it sort of sets a tone. Even if it's a little bit at a time, it moves – the marker of the conversation. So the goalpost in the conversation, instead of being about the practical work cases and the work at hand and the real semantics of development, it sort of moves into this hyperbole, sort of ambiguous terminology where there's room for definition uh, disagreement and people who are not really involved with the work have lots of things to quibble about and say. It's the same people who like to argue about the shade of blue but don't have any input on the actual implementation of Uh, some of the infrastructure. uh, We call those stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that gives those stakeholders a little bit more to be a, to have a hold on. This is for the stakeholders. That's who this article is for. It's for the, the thing stakeholders. Is, this is so wishy-washy. It's not like a cardinal truth. Like, you know, something that is a cardinal truth. C-sharp is better than Java, right? Like, we can all agree on that. Um, what? What? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I don't believe I you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, what, what, uh, Inappropriate? Yes. 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 I'm just, I'm just kidding, seeing if you're paying attention. Chris. Hello, everybody. Barack, we need to talk about my affordable health care because, god damn, <laughs> not so affordable, is it? <laughs> it it's that's right, how we go. You know, uh, I used uh, to have that's a car how we payment. This is literally double my car payment was. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Have, don't have kids. Oh, yeah. Don't be married. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, boy. I think that brings it. Wait, if we're getting into politics, I think that means we're coming to an end, aren't we? I think that means we're uh, slowing down on the off ramp here. Right, anything else we yeah. want to cover, Mr. Dominic? Uh, no, no, I just okay. I, I'm gonna go. I'm, well, I'm gonna go to the full stack development graveyard with yeah. the rest of my kids. Yeah. I feel like I need to go over to IHOP and get me some pancakes after uh, after this here show. I tell you that much, it, Mr. Dominic. It better be a half stack. Yeah, for the health, right? I feel yeah. maybe I'll just do a couple of pancakes, a little bacon, some sausage. I'll be okay. I'll be all right. It's all about that syrup. I'll be looking for a new host. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, why don't you join us live? We do this show Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over jblive.tv, coderadio.reddit.com. Go there, engage in the conversation, give us some ideas for topics, and email us. It's a huge part of our show, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, and choose Coder Radio from the dropdown. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send folks throughout the week? Yes, go to fingertip.technology. Boom. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here.
next week.